Anyway, so this is uh, Philip being with us about six months, and so he's going to share his encounter. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Um, Carl said to talk about a sort of encounter with God, and I'm sort of thinking, um, it's been a long time, and so I'll give you a bit of an overview, would be probably the best. Um, so I'm Philip Searle, and I'm married to Margaret, who happens to be in London looking after his brand new twin granddaughters, um, and we've got um, 12 grandchildren. Um, I, was, I was brought up in a Christian family, um, I'm one of nine kids, and um, I have to say, uh, I've never been in the world as such, in the world of Christian talk. And I, I used to sort of, people sort of say, oh, is it much easier for you because you're uh, born in a Christian family and never experienced all these things. But actually, you know, it is pretty hard sometimes when you're growing up with expectations and then you're looking outside and you've never experienced all these things. And sometimes you think maybe they, they look pretty good because the devil does a good job making things look good. But um, by God's grace, I was never in the world, so to speak. Um, my father was, um, um, before I was born, um, they were ma- my mum and dad were married, and, but they weren't Christians as far as I know. Well, they weren't actually. Um, but um, dad was um, driving down Gladstone Road, oh, I to think how many years ago, probably about 70 years ago, and he saw a guy preaching. His name was Dave Hewlett. Um, he used to own the Ford garage here. I think it was um, Holmes Motors in those days. And Dad saw him preaching, and he knew him, but he didn't hear what he said. But he thought, what on earth could that guy be standing up there making a fool of himself in the main street? Um, so he went and asked him, and uh, he led him to the Lord. Um, my dad eventually became a pastor and did considerable missionary work around the world, and I would say he would have led thousands to the Lord all through one man preaching on the streets of Gisborne, even though he never heard what he said. I gave my heart to the Lord at the age of seven. We went to the Te Harbour Baptist Church, and a man called Barry Hibbert came through. He Hibbert family are from Gisborne. He came through, and I just remember at the end of the, they said two, two halves of the service where the kids had um, um, come in and that, and um, he said, does anyone want to give their heart to the Lord? You know, all go out and then come back in. I'm saying, no, shall I? So we did. So I did. And looking back, I didn't know much. I gave heart to the Lord. I didn't know much really in what I was doing, but God knew. And He took He took me up my word. And um, He held me steadfast through my life, right from then. So when I see little kids give their heart to the Lord. I don't sort of think, oh, that's just a joke. They don't know what they're talking about. God knows what they're doing. We, um, we were always been to Sunday school uh, throughout our childhood. And as kids, we were always very conscious of God's presence. I remember my brother and I walking down the road once and we said, shall we swear? And said, so we did. Said a couple of words which wouldn't even raise any eyebrows today. But honestly, if God had struck us with lightning, we would not have been surprised. <laughs> that, that's how, how conscious we were of the Lord. Um, we went to the Tiara Baptist Church and then later an in, in independent full gospel church that we used to fellowship in the guide hall. Went there for a few years. I was baptised in water when I was about 14 and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Probably the most challenging time in my life 
from a spiritual perspective was during the period when I was an electrical apprentice, I must have been about 16, 17 or something. And I did, I so wanted to, to be right with God, but I came under this amazing condemnation and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And it was just like, whatever I did, did you do that right? You know, I'd sort of tie some conduit on the top of a truck or something like that, and I'd pick a bit of wire and then screw it, and tie it on that, and then the, some of the voice would say, whose was that wire? That was rubbish. Whose was it? You stole it. You know, just, I was under this absolute condemnation, and then I'd take communion, you're condemned now because you're unworthy, and just went on like this for about a year. Um, unfortunately, I never talked to anyone about it. Um, I just sort of went through it. But one day I was reading my Bible and I came across Romans 8 verse 1. And I was just reading it there and said, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And I just suddenly realized I was walking after the Spirit. So I was free from condemnation. And it was like this great burden lifted from my shoulders. And by God's grace has never come back. But it was just something I wouldn't wish anyone to go through. I'm not perfect and make plenty of mistakes, and through the death of Jesus on the cross, we're free from condemnation. Mark and I met at church when we were kids, and married pretty young, still kids actually. Um, actually, Mark was 17 and I was 22. Um, but we've had four boys, and as I said, 12 grandchildren, and we've been Christians all our married life. Um, we've seen God move in our lives in amazing ways through the years. But most of the time when you're going through a trial, um, it doesn't, you don't seem to be getting amazing miracles. However, when you look back, you realise that God was working a miracle. And it just didn't, uh, it just didn't, we just didn't notice it at the time. You know, we believe in tithing, and we've done so as far back as I can remember. And I can, not once has God failed us by providing for everything that we've ever needed. In conclusion, I'd say, when you become a Christian, you don't join a picnic. You actually join a battle. Um, you're given spiritual armour and spiritual weapons. And sometimes it's not fun, you know. But you know how the story ends and who wins. And we get to spend the eternity with God. And one thing I can say through experience, God will never fail you. It may not work out the way you think it should, but he will not fail you. Thank you. Thank you, Philip. I appreciate that. So we're going to uh, carry on, look at a, a biblical encounter. And this one is uh, Luke chapter 7. It's a story of a soldier. So... Uh, put up a, a photo of another soldier here. The writer of this book actually was a soldier. His name is uh, Dr. Monty Suter. He came and spoke here. Some of you remember about two Waitangi, they, uh, Waitangi weekends ago, two or three, not sure. And um, so he's a local, um, Ngāti Parau, Ngāti Awa, I think. So he has his uh, doctorate in history to do with uh, Māori 28th Battalion. He's a believer attached to House of Breakthrough Church, historian, writer, teacher, was a soldier, and I could 
see that the way he uh, operated when he came here. His communication was incredibly precise. So he would um, ask things like, uh, what time do you want me to be here? How long do you want me to speak? Uh, da 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 And uh, he was, so I told him the time, about five minutes earlier than that, he came. How long do you want me to speak? Well, normally we're 20, 25 minutes. After 23 and a half minutes, he stopped. <laughs> After the service uh, for our, our guest speakers, not, not speakers out of the far no, sorry Philip, but for our guest speakers, uh, we give a, a koha. So I had an envelope with a thank you card and a cheque. So I gave it to him, said thank you afterwards. He opened up the envelope. Without looking at the folded cheque, he took it out, handed it back to me, and put the card in his pocket. And he said, "Uh, no, this is for the Lord. Another story about Monty, I read this, is Article 12 Questions in the Herald from two years back. And... He went, no, he didn't go. One of his children was at a dairy, a local dairy, and the, his three eldest children didn't speak English until they were five or six, grew up in Te Reo. And uh, his eldest was speaking Māori in, in the shop, of course. That's what she spoke. And the shopkeeper said, don't speak that language around here. And Monty, when she came home and told him, went down to the, the dairy and said, do you know that in this country, te reo Māori is an official language and she can speak that language in this country wherever she wants. You see, because he was a soldier, he knows about authority. He knows about authority. We're going to look at another soldier, Luke chapter 7, 1 to 10. Also, this story is also told in Matthew 8 with some differences, as is often the case in the Gospels. There's the same story with slight differences. Main difference here is the focus in Luke is on the faith of the soldier, not the miracle, which is Matthew's focus. And here, there's no actual mentioning of Jesus meeting the soldier in person. But Matthew does. Anyway, Luke chapter 7, starting from verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. When Jesus had finished saying all this, all this, what's all this? The all this is the Sermon on the Plain, which is very much, well, it's a shortened version of the Sermon on the Mount, of Matthew 5, 6 and 7. It's the ethical teaching of Jesus. And in uh, Luke 6, it goes from 17 to 49 and climaxes with the story of the wise and foolish builders. And the wise builder, Jesus teaches, builds on solid stuff. He had solid faith. And a natural flow on is this story of the encounter of the soldier with Jesus. So, verse 2, Then a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick 
and about to die. A centurion. Now, a centurion had, as you could guess, 100 uh, soldiers under him. A decurion had 10. And there was another commander called a Chiliac. A Chiliac had actually 1,000 soldiers. So it wasn't a Chiliac, he wasn't a decurion, he was a centurion. Uh, he was a mercenary, did it for pay. Centurions often had two roles, one of two roles. One, a kind of police role. They would keep the order. Secondly, they could be like a, a tax collecting role. We know that he was not a Roman because Romans did not uh, serve as centurions until AD 44. Possibly he was a Syrian. And the centurion, he had heard about Jesus and he sent some elders of the Jews to talk to Jesus and ask, ask Jesus to come and heal his servant. Verse 4. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation. Uh, verse 5. He loves our people. He built the synagogue and he loves our nation. The original word is ethnos, where we get the word ethnicity. So in other words, this centurion, um, he, he loves our people. He loves our people. And he's built our synagogue. And no wonder, centurions were actually paid quite well. They were paid five to ten times the amount that a normal soldier was paid. Uh, and, and ten to twenty times of a, of a labourer. And he used some of that money to fund the synagogue, Jewish meeting place. Although he was not a Jew, he was sympathetic and sensitive to the Jews. Perhaps he was what Luke called a God-fearer or on his way to becoming a God-follower. So the centurion, here he is, he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew, he's a Gentile. Doesn't fully identify with Israel, but he does respect the God of the Jews. And Luke's Gospel, as a, compared to the other Gospels, had a real focus on the Gentiles. And so here's the story of a man who had never, at this point in the story, had not seen Jesus but has great faith in Jesus. And that was a great encouragement to the readers of this gospel, who are mostly Gentiles. Verse 6, So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him. So here's the second group that the soldier sends. He'd sent the Jewish elders. Now he sends some of his friends. And says, the friends say, Lord, do not trouble yourself. It's a waste of your tiredness for you to come. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. You see his humility? This man, he's in command of 100 people. 
But you, but you, Jesus, I don't, I don't deserve for you to come under my roof. Verse 7, this is why I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word and he'll be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me. I say to this one, go. He goes. This one, come. He comes. I say to that servant, do. And he does. Go, come, do. He understood authority. He understood authority. But he, he, he wasn't oppressive with it. He used his power, used his financial power, used his authority to bless and to love. It's like in the fifth chapter of the first book of Peter, where Peter says, you know, don't, uh, elders, don't lord it over those under you, but be examples. Because when the chief shepherd appears, you will be rewarded. And this soldier, this centurion, he knew about authority. He knew about authority. He knew about it in a military way. That was his life. But also here we can see that he knew about spiritual authority that Jesus had from God. He knew about spiritual authority. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. He was amazed at this man. His faith, verse 9, is amazing. It amazed Jesus. It's like, wow, whoa. I've never seen faith like this. Whoa. And there's only two places in the Bible where Jesus is amazed. Here, this incident, and in Mark 6, verse 6. Mark 6, verse 6, Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. But here he is amazed at this man's faith. Whoa! And turning to the crowd, following him, Jesus says, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Whoa! Great faith. Great faith that overcame uh, spatial distance. Great faith that overcame racial distance. Great faith that overcame pride distance. Despite being a soldier, despite being a powerful man. Great faith that overcame uh, space and race and place didn't matter to him didn't matter to him didn't matter because he was a soldier and he understood the authority of Jesus even the space that he couldn't see him, couldn't touch him couldn't feel him you know he could say oh you know he's not in my space nah he uh, overcame that race you know, you can say he's not for my people, he's for their people. He's not for my race, but actually Jesus is and overcame place. You know, pride. I don't really need him, I'm sussed. I've my place in this world. You know, I've got a hundred people that do what I tell them to do. I earn five to ten times that guy or, or ten to twenty times what that guy earns. But no, 
This man, this centurion, he understood authority. That was his life. And he recognized the spiritual authority of Jesus. Do you? Do you? Do you? Do you? Do you recognize the spiritual authority of Jesus? Do you recognize the place, the spiritual authority that Jesus asks of you in your life? In your life, in your sexual life, in your financial life, in your family life, in your community life, in all your life, do you recognize the spiritual authority of Jesus? Who He is, what He means, what He can do, the place that He must have in your life. And if you don't recognize that, if you need to recognize that again, if you need to say yes to the place of Jesus again, you can do that now, today. You can do it there, you can do it here. Wherever you want to do it, you can do it at home. There's people here love to pray for you. Let's stand up. Can we have our crew back again? Thank you. You guys are awesome today. It's fantastic. And uh, let's pray, and people love to pray for you. Uh, I feel the, one of the words for today is healing. And people here would, would um, love to pray for you. If you have physical stuff going on, um, like the Lord to touch that, people would uh, love to pray for you about that today. We thank you, Lord. Thank you who you are. And, um, and this story of this foreigner who recognized who you were, who you are, the authority, the spiritual authority that you carry. And we want to recognize that today. Thank you, Jesus. We recognize you today. Uh, if you, just as um, we're singing, if you'd love to be prayed for, come up. People would love to do that.